The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. And now, here's Brandon. Welcome back to Old Space Show. I'm Brandon, and this is my companion, Rachel. Hello, hello. This series of Old Space Show follows the story-by-story time-traveling adventures of the Sixth Doctor and Perry Brown during season 26 of Doctor Who, Colin Baker's first year in the role. Today we'll be discussing the story comprised of episodes 1 and 2, Attack of the Cybermen. Dun-dun-dun. Doctor and Perry randomly return to 76 Totters Lane in 1985. In the sewers, they not only discover mercenary Lytton, who previously had assisted the Daleks, but also the Cybermen. Lytton had hired with him a gang of criminals leading them to believe they were on a diamond heist. It turns out these Cybermen have come from Telos, where the Cyber Controller still lives. They are attempting to blow up the Earth with Halley's Comet to prevent the planet and the Doctor from destroying their home planet of Mondas the following year. The Cybermen take the Doctor, Perry, and others hostage to hijack the TARDIS to help their scheme and go back to the frozen planet Telos, where the Cybermen have all but fully eradicated its inhabitants, the Cryons. Upon arriving, though, some are able to escape and meet the Cryons, who have been applying guerrilla war tactics to stave off the Cybermen. Discovering an explosive substance, they use it to fend off the Cybermen. Lytton, it seems, was not in league with the Cybermen, but the Cryons the whole time. The Doctor and Perry are able to fight off and destroy the Cybermen as a partially converted Lytton assists. As they exit, the Doctor feels down on himself, having misjudged Lytton as a person. And we'll get to about that plot, folks. We'll get to that. Plot. Uh, it's directed by Matthew Robinson, who has lots of TV under his name, but uh, notably had directed the previous year, Resurrection of the Daleks. And he was commissioned for season 23 for The Nightmare Fair and The Hollows of Time, but that season was scrapped. And those later became Big Finish audios, if you'd like to hear them. They're very fascinating. It's uh, written by Paula Moore. We'll talk yeah. about that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> and it's starring Colin Baker and Nicole Bryant and guest starring Maurice Colburn, Brian Glover, who you might recognize from Alien 3, American Werewolf in London, Jabberwocky, or Brannigan TV series, Michael Kilgraff, Sarah Berger, Esther Freud, Faith Brown, and Terry Malloy. And the writer controversy, as I mentioned, was because Paula Moore didn't write this story. It was written by Eric Sayward, but he was the... He was the script supervisor for this season and there's a legality that he cannot write episodes and yeah something like something like that it it depends on what source you read because mm -hmm. paula moore supposedly was a pseudonym for paula woolsey but i haven't been able to find anything on who supposedly this paula woolsey is so Mm -hmm. i think it's like an alan smithy type thing yeah, he said he com- actually ri- the paperwork commissioned the person. Uh, Ian Levine credit says he came up with the outline of the story, which Ian Levine, if you have it, he's a 
fan of Doctor Who has implanted himself into the universe of Doctor mm-hmm. Who. And at this point in Doctor Who's production, he's an unofficial advisor. And he gave him the information about the Cybermen from Tomb of the Cybermen. We'll get to... There's a whole... This episode's got a lot going on. I'm excited yeah. um, to talk about it. It's a good callback to some old school Doctor Who. Yes. It's funny considering a lot of people consider this old Doctor Who. <laughs> right. But uh, Sayward, in interview, you can tell Sayward's keep like Sayward says Levine did not write this help write this story at all. But he's got a legally binding contract with the show that says he wrote it, so he can say what he wants right now. Uh-huh. Um, but that's the the weirdness. But they they've now admitted that Paula Moore didn't touch this thing, whoever she is. Her uh-huh. only credit is Attack of the Cybermen parts one yep. and two. Also, before we get into this story, this is the move to the 45-minute format mm-hmm. and back to Saturdays for Doctor Who, one episode a week. There's a myth that Resurrection of the Daleks was the previous season, which was two 45-minute episodes, was a test run for this, but it's not. There was the Olympics going on during that story, and they crammed the four-part story together into two, and that's why that was 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe it got in the mind of somebody there. They also wanted to, with the goals with this season, because we're now in a different season. Last last week, we're in season 21. We're in season 22. Yep. They, they aim for a more adult tone with this season. And, of course, this is something we touched on last week, but John Nathan Turner, and you'll see it in a lot of Perry's outfits, he wanted this show to be super 80s during this time. Yeah. He, he wanted Doctor Who, he believed it to be a time capsule, and he wanted every era to be instantly recognizable upon a frame that uh, it's both a blessing and a curse to the show. And to Nicola Bryant. <laughs> and to Nicola Bryant, yeah. yeah. She always liked to joke that her outfits were pretty much to entice dads to watch with their kids. <laughs> yeah, and that's what uh, the people, the writers, uh, the reviewer, the critics and stuff of the show would mention that as well. Yeah. Not giving her any credit other than her chest, basically. Which, you know... She could wear the shorts and the unitard or whatever, but they did they really have to put her in heels? Yeah, heels too, yeah. Clip clopping everywhere. In part two, <laughs> they do they do cover her up quite well. They they do realize, oh yeah, yeah. we're in a frozen place. <laughs> she's probably not gonna be comfortable. Yeah. Even the cyber controller is like, she's gonna be cold. Yeah. <laughs> get her get her address. Warm suit. This season, really cool here. They go with what they did for Tom Baker in his first season. Right away, we get the Cybermen here. We're going to see Santarans later, the Master. You see Daleks, and he gets a multiple Doctor story in there. Tom Baker Uh didn't have that in his first season. But they throw all the like greatest hits monsters right out to help a new Doctor succeed in the role. Like Peter Davison, all he got was just the Master in disguise every (laughs) all the time. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting that approach is back here with this season. Um, this is the Cybermen's first appearance since, well, the Five Doctors, but in series proper, Earthshock, mm-hmm. which is Eric Sayward's, like, what do you call it? Is, he keeps chasing it. That's what he's... For, he wrote that story, and he'd been chasing after it ever since. Like, he tries it with the Daleks and Resurrection of the Daleks. He's back here with Attack of the Cybermen, trying to go for that hard adult Doctor Who stuff yeah. he's going for. I don't know about you, Rachel, but I think this is one of the nerdiest Doctor Who stories of all time, if you're a <laughs> Doctor Who fan, because 
It's a sequel to The Tenth Planet. It's a sequel to The Tomb of the Cybermen. It's a sequel to Resurrection of the Daleks. It's got nods to An Earthly Child. It's got nods to The Invasion. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this stuff wasn't available to watch at the time. Well, Tomb of the Cybermen's missing. Yeah, it was. It, it got re- <laughs> so. at this time. Yeah, it comes back in '91. This was from '85. Yeah, and like there's that, that was one of those stories that the BBC, which, yeah, if if I had a TARDIS, what I would do is go back to yeah. the you know right before Doctor Who starts and be like, do not throw away this mm-hmm. film. <laughs> And keep track yep. of it. Put it in a dry climate, yep. you know, climate as climate controlled as you can for the 1960s. And put this someplace safe. Trust me, you will be you will <laughs> residuals. At, 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 a, at a bare minimum, go back to 99. BBC office. Talk to the guy at the phone. Be like, listen, somebody's going to call offering Doctor Who episodes back, called Marco Polo and the Reign mm-hmm. of Terror. Yes. Do not say you're not interested. Yes. Do not. Just take them. When someone calls and they said they found something in a broom closet in Nigeria. Yes. You take it. FedEx it overnight. Yes. You need to see proof before you make a move. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but this stuff like, so 10th Planet 4, which is where it's blown up, Mondas is blown up, is not, it's still missing. That episode's still missing. And who knows how well circulated the audios were back then that people that recorded, I mean, those didn't start popping up till later and in official capacity, Mm -hmm. like on like CDs and stuff, they didn't start popping up till way later. And it relied heavy on Doctor Who knowledge and like, and it's not there like to just get like we have today. Like we can go to Wikipedia today. We can go, we can, we can watch a DVD. We have animated versions of these Mm -hmm. missing stories with the original audios. But I guess back then they had target novelizations if they, if they could find them or pick them up. But this, this is huge. And this is a story for me that every time I watch it, it slows down a little more. It's a lot. It's easier to follow every time I pop it in because this is one of Collins that I'll go back to easily. Yeah, I think for the most part, this one it, it probably helps that it's only two parts. Helps and the two uh, very yin yeah. yang parts set wise. It's not like you're just in the same set the whole show. It's it changes in the second part. They go to a yeah, place. Yeah, but this I mean this story is not as convoluted as some others right. are. <laughs> so it's like Cybermen, they want to convert people, but right. you know, the, it, it's only really convoluted in its Doctor Who lore. Yes. That's about it. Yeah. Once you start getting into things like the, the, the cryons and like, you know, they, mm-hmm. they can only exist in degrees, you know, and in places that are zero or below, you know, right. <laughs> right. And those cryons, so like in the second part, they go to this place and they got the people, the cry and the super, they look like 1970s hangover, like time of aliens. They don't. It's look- like someone went to like a flower shop <laughs> and, you know, maybe a place that does like floral arrangements and maybe like Easter baskets and yes. took like the, the cellophane. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> that they use to wrap them and we're just like we're just gonna take all of this right and, and it's like okay all, everyone who's playing a cryon get in a row and they're like okay well we're gonna do wrap your head this way and you're gonna have some pieces sticking off of this side and uh, then you uh, you're gonna have some sticking <laughs> off your chin you you're gonna get some bubble wrap too oh my uh, gosh. So- 
<laughs> they're they're ridiculous costumes. I, if I had more time than I knew what to do with, I would almost want to like tr- try to figure out how to cosplay that. <laughs> when you're at PopCon, you and me, we're gonna we'll find us a third. We'll yeah. <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah, th- I mean it's really cool. Like I like this kind of look for science fiction stuff. This old, like older yeah, stuff. I think like, they're supposed to look like they're ice. Ice, yeah. But as with everything at Doctor Who, anything icy ends up looking like Saran wrap. Right, right. Hey, bubble wrap was first introduced to the public in Ark in Space. But yeah. But know it looks now. You go, oh, it's bubble wrap. But back then, no one had seen bubble wrap before. So yeah. Well, and now in you know New Who, you just have actual bubble wrap that right. will kill you. That's true. So. And now these the the cryons are actually played by notable. British personalities mm-hmm. like there's a couple comedians and a, a show is it Saturday morning or whatever breakfast time is that who the one of them is um, these okay so the we would the name- Cybermen or some of the Cybermen yeah. are like that too like the guy that plays oh, the yeah. cyber controller is the same guy that played the cyber controller yep. in Tomb of the Cybermen right yeah they brought so back, they brought him back here. like 20 years later yeah <laughs> when you it's a guy in a suit you may you wouldn't necessarily know that that's the same guy <laughs> and one of the cybermen is played by john ainley which is anthony ainley's like nephew oh that's right yeah <laughs> yeah so but, I mean, some but you of wouldn't these, know because you'd never see his face well some of these cat like yeah you don't see their face but i mean if you named them they they'd be it'd be to us americans the equivalent of modern times saying and introducing john bishop mm-hmm. okay he's playing dan I, I don't know I yeah I, I don't know but well I, I kind of yeah and, I kind of I kind of equate it to when you put someone you know who potentially is notable but in a role where you just can't see their yeah, face or can't right. even tell it who who it is underneath all that is kind of like nowadays where they've put like Daniel Craig played a stormtrooper hmm. in Force Awakens right <laughs> now it's like oh James Bond but you never know you never know. <laughs> Because he's just he's just a stormtrooper. <laughs> this is true. This is true. They also in this one they play with the chameleon circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, the and it it plays the doctor some, fixes it <laughs> fixes it. Yeah, uh, Air the thing quotes. That they established with Colin early on here in the season is he's, he's tinkering with the TARDIS a lot. He's like pulling, oh, yeah. you get to see one of the roundels come off and he's working on it and you know he changed the chameleon circuit, which drove people like people were scared. They thought because John Nathan Turner have like offhand mentioned that they were going to change the look of the TARDIS mm-hmm. from the police box and this was kind of like toying with that but it was he was never going to fully do it but yeah. just to get the public's attention on something they did that and it turns into like a little wardrobe and uh organ mm-hmm. and a gate in this which is pretty interesting and he plays the da-da-da, yeah da-da-da. And Colin Baker actually learned the right keys to play that, too, so he could get it down. I mean, we've always known that the the TARDIS was supposed to be able to blend right. in into her surroundings wherever she lands, but she got stuck because it was a lot easier for them to just use the same prop <laughs> over and right. over and over instead of creating new props. But yeah, to temporarily fix it is a nice nod to the fact that the TARDIS is supposed to change, but as we... We'll see in our next go round that other Time Lords, their TARDISes will change. Yes. So definitely, yeah. They, so they, we still we still get that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, before, I think we'd seen the monks, the meddling monks. Yeah. Well, and we and I think it's during the 
fifth doctor's era that the masters oh, the master TARDIS did. turns into like a Grecian column or something like that. And it was a grandfather, wasn't it like a grandfather clock? Yeah. Like keep grandfather. Her chalking? Yeah. 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 So his is been changing in another little not he has the sonic lance not screwdriver the sonic lance yes which have yeah, they ever made a replica dodge. of that i'm sure someone probably has like the, the i've never one. seen yeah. one like mass produced for sale out there this guy i mean it looks simple <laughs> it doesn't look like i'm sure if you look probably someone's made up like the file so you could probably 3d print one probably so i should add that to my cosplay there you go. Yeah. Considering that doctor does not carry a Sonic. No, he does so. not. But he has the Lance. So every one of them has carried a Sonic something, something except for Hartnell. Yeah. This one also is known for taking the vi- you know, the violence going too far with the uh Litton. He gets so he's this bad guy that came over from Resurrection of the Daleks. He was mm-hmm. helping them out in that and randomly comes back in this like following up episode and you're made to believe he's in league with the cybermen he's not he's in league with the cryons and then he gets taken by the cybermen they like squeeze his hands and they're bloody and that was like a huge point of controversy when they were like going against the show for like the censors and the the student bbc and stuff and then he gets like converted partially and he looks creepy (laughs) when Mm -hmm. he's converted as well as the two partially converted mercenary guys they find out and you know Rock Quarry Central, known as Telos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they have the gray kind of faces. So if you that like is rock the, quarries, that is, the, that is it. It's, it's, technically, it's not a rock quarry. Yeah. It is Wapsie's Wood Sand Pit. Okay. It is in Buckinghamshire. Hmm. Didn't Ian Levine oh. try to, he like tried to get him to shoot where Tomb of the Cybermen was shot? Yeah, it was. It, it is all. It is the same yeah. location that they okay. used for Telos and, and yeah. Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah. Gotcha. And this one has a lot of cool like sets, but once again, sometimes one of Doctor Who's the '80s arch nemeses that he has is the studio lights. Um, <laughs> tend to be too bright in a lot of them. Happens a lot in the Davison era. Like yeah, Urshak and Androzani get like are like really really good lighting and kind of yeah. feel good but like a lot of stuff is just yeah. way too bright like they go into the sewer system mm-hmm. to and it's like i'm pretty sure the sewers are not that bright yes yeah and the underground or that wide <laughs> right yeah very wide <laughs> very. i think sewers i'm thinking like ninja turtle sewers you know <laughs> right right it's a nice clean sewer down there yeah. and yeah and they call in oh he wears the like the uh the constable hat uh, yeah, and they they fight some police officers, and him and uh, Nicola like I I think they uh, starting to have it down pretty good here, and he's delivering. It kind of feels like he's nailing what they were hoping to go for here, and that's why I think it's better of an introduction than the twin dilemma was. Yeah, for sure. Well, originally in the script, the cryons were supposed to be living inside of Haley's comet. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, I read <laughs> that. Yeah. Oh, this uh, is like topical. This story is a. This is a topical story. Yeah, Haley's Comet. Haley's Comet. They just threw it in because it was a coming by Earth. And yeah. Like, Why not have the Cybermen try to use it to? Yeah, and and Light Litton was supposed to convince the Cybermen to use the comet to help destroy Earth to get the Cyber Controller to go there, and from there they would be ambushed by the Cryons. But I I think that, that I'm sure that probably came down to 
budget. Right. <laughs> it's like, how do we do the inside of an asteroid? Uh, comet? We can't do that. <laughs> we can't oh, do gosh. that. So let's just go to Telos instead. <laughs> I was, oh, what, which one was it? I was recently listening to one of the, the lost stories. And I was, as I was listening, I was like, man, I don't know how they, it was Leviathan. And then they on the bonus features that they had at the end of the disc, it was like, yeah, there's no way in hell we could have. Nicole O'Brien's like, I'm glad this is a big finish audio because I would never have wanted to see what they would have came up with mm-hmm. or the cheapness of the show would never yep. would have ruined the story. So I was like, yep, for sure. Yeah, because at this point, their budget was MacGyver could do more with mm-hmm. what they were given. <laughs> yeah, and they get, I mean, and they honestly, they get away with it right till about, McCoy's first season or Trial of the Time Lord when Star Trek The Next Generation comes out and be like, you look like you're really far behind here, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. But yeah, but eh, this, I mean, this one's fairly, fairly decent. There's, you know, some cheapness in it, but overall it works. I like the Cybermen a lot. They're a fave villain of mine and this is a pretty solid story for them decently. They got a very big plan going on and hopes and dreams and time dilemma. So they're you know, trying to prevent a, there was a, the grandfather clause thing where you're trying to go back, prevent this so that never happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, because of the complaints of how violent they think Doctor Who has become. Which, mm-hmm. you know, if you compare this to what we were watching here in the United States in the '80s, right? This is nothing. No. <laughs> But, you know, to have the doctor, like, show remorse at the end yeah, with with Lytton and be like, oh, you know, I really underestimated this guy, which, I mean, can you really blame him? Because, you know, his experience with him with the Daleks and not. Right. You know, it paints a certain picture. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the way he was acting with the Cybermen, you know, how could you like, not to jump to that yeah. conclusion? You know, it's just like anytime you run up with the master, if you go back to the five doctors and, right. you know, the, the, the time Lords send the master into the, the dead zone. And, you know, the master's like, no, really, the, the time Lords have sent me here to help you. And every incarnation of the doctor's like, yeah, right. No, <laughs> you're the master. You're right experience dictates that you're going to be an evil bastard and turn on me. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't blame the doctor for jumping to those conclusions. No, They had some closure there at the the end, I guess, you know, interesting choice of a returning villain because you could have just kept going and never touched on Litton again and no one would have batted an eye. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been Joe Schmo random person so it could have been one of those goons that was working with him it adds a different layer to colin's doctor a bit too i mean he's had some like real like trying to figure out who he is and you know with the twin dilemma he's got that former mentor who turned Uh and stuff he's had some different feelings on perry himself his reflect you know reflecting on himself and then this with Lytton. so he's kind of still figuring out she does mention they still having some regeneration crisis uh, side effects, which yeah, allows it to be another entrance into his doctor instead of the twin dilemma. Which, like we said last episode, you could, if you really, really wanted to, you could skip twin dilemma and start right. here, and you would probably be fine. Probably enjoy it more. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's a better. I mean, it's all around way better than <laughs> twin yeah. dilemma. 
this is actual. I think it would be a recommended. I think this one is rated pretty highly in his canon. I think. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. It's made less. So, all right. Well, it's time to return the TARDIS and set our coordinates for our next adventure. So, Rachel, whereabouts in time and space can people find you? <laughs> well, you can find me uh, every week, usually, with the Five Ish Fangirls podcast. We are a pop culture, geek culture, entertainment podcast. We talk about books, movies, video games, all things geeky and nerdy from the female perspective. We are pretty much anywhere that you can find podcasts. So, you know, Apple, Google, all of those fun things plus at the com, so you can connect with us all over the interwebs there there's links to all sorts of craziness we're everywhere doing all sorts of weird things and then gold standard which is the oscar podcast i do every other week where we are watching and reviewing every single Best Picture Academy Award winner for Best Picture in Chronological Order. And you can find us, again, wherever you can find podcasts. And on Facebook, just look for Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. What year are you on with that? 1945. Oh, wow. Cooking. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 45. Yeah. So this will be the first, like first academy award ceremony after world war ii ended so excellent excellent uh, okay and i'm on twitter and instagram at brandon4kuhd written work at ysoblue.com there's more from the brandon peter show this week but from old space i'm the companion whether you like it or not thank you for listening the brandon peter show is a creative zombie studios production Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. 